I'm Danielle. And I'm Christy. And you are listening to Snacks with Stein. Let's do it. Welcome. We have taken over this podcast for the week. And by we, I mean myself, Katie. And me, Kenny. From the Haunted Heart Podcast. podcast. I guess Christy's here too, right? Somewhere, right? Christy? Hi. Oh, there she is. I'm here. Hey, girl. How you doing? So we have taken over Snacks with Stein for the week. As your guest hosts. Yes, Danielle is still on hiatus, but don't worry. You don't have to listen to us for too much longer. She'll be back next week. Danielle's totally fine. She's not tied up in in the basement or Mm -mm. anything. She's she's totally fine. Just fine. And confirmed. She's She's okay. She's fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) So to kick us off, I believe we have a new Patreon member to welcome yes Chris so snacks yes, snacks with stein has a new patron um it's brandy herbert she uh, has joined team fear street and you know katie did the the honors for the patreon toast last episode so i was going to see kenny if you wouldn't mind oh gosh brandy uh, of course i would be i would be thrilled to do that i would be thrilled to do that so here at snacks with stein when you join up uh, for the Patreon, we like to give you a, a limerick, a poem, a, a suggestion of our love, if you will. Um, Some might say an invocation, but in rhyme. Mm, <laughs> here, here at Snacks with Stein, we're more creative. <laughs> this is actually very true. Very, very true. Because we don't give a fuck that much. Um, but no, here we go. Yeah, I'm going to try my best. So, yeah. Brandy. Brandy, this one is for you. Brandy, you have joined Team Fear Street, and we say yay! Yay! Did you know that I'm allergic to hay? May your stocking be full and your mittens be wool. And may you get drunk enough to watch for Santa's sleigh. I heard that, sis. Ain't that right? Cheers. Cheers. Well, so since Katie and Kenny are pretty much driving this episode, I'm still going to be here, still going to be able to weigh in. So please don't drink and drive. Um, But I guess if you're hosting a podcast... You're allowed to drive a podcast and no, drink? it's encouraged. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think you are. So I'm mostly so going to be stuffing my face this time. I'm having a thin crust uh, pizza. I believe it is freschetta. It is pepperoni. And I'm also having a glass of white wine. But the fun thing about this wine, because I normally don't drink white, usually pretty much a red kind of gal, we, uh, for some reason, ended up with a bottle of white, which has been in the fridge for a while. I broke it out. I bought special wine glasses that have the Hogwarts crest on them. When you put something cold into it, the colors change. There's a color changing wine glass 
because I'm five. I'm five years old and I enjoy that quote. <laughs> so that's what I'm, I'm going to be drinking from my color change glass and eating some pizza. And I'm going to listen to a story. I'm excited. Yes. Well, we have one for you. We sure do. Yes, 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 we do. Or, I mean, so I was really nervous about doing this. I still am. It's okay. I'm here with you. That's what best friends are for. We both read the book this week. We both came prepared, did our homework so that Miss Christie wouldn't kick our ass. <laughs> oh, that's good because no. I didn't. So <laughs> <laughs> That would be awkward. Uh, so yes, this week we are telling the story of a night in Terror Tower. Terror Tower, Terror Tower. This was first uh, originally published in January of 1995. Love it. Good year. Good vintage. <laughs> it is a good vintage. Yes, a classic Goosebumps book that any fan should know. If you don't, then number one, you're not a Goosebumps fan. What are you doing? Number two, what are you doing here? Also, very, very happy that you guys trusted us to cover this one. Absolutely. Because it's a big one, and we were very thankful Well, for it's that. just so iconic of the series. Well, if you think about the cover, I mean, you've got this big, this big muscly man. and this. Oh my, this took a turn mom. already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you've got this stone archway, and then you've got this big muscly, like, uh, executioner daddy. We love that. Like, holding his rather large axe and he's got his hood on <laughs> and he's got some boots and you know he's got a stylish lime green smock on potentially a prototype of like pyramid head who we both have a thing for that. like yes we both I... have a thing for him i think it may harken back to this book uh-huh. i think maybe these are the roots i discovered something when i was when i chose this book and i was looking at this cover and i'm like hmm mm-hmm. i went Can into I tell you my problem with pyramid head What's your problem oh, with Pyramid God, Head? If you, got a pyra- pop, if you got a problem with Pyramid Head, I need to know. No, let's hear it. This is a safe space. I want him to take a shower. You know... I feel like I would just slide right off. You know, <laughs> I mean... Or you could just groom him like a cat. I mean... I guess. I fine. Maybe we could take a shower together. I'm not opposed to that. I'm not saying that, like, I wouldn't be down. But, like, honestly, like, I feel like if I had a running start that, like, I could probably just, like, right off. Right off of him. Yeah. You just have to watch out for his pyramid because he might rust in the shower, you know? That's true. And the tagline, well, the tagline for this book is, it's going to be an L-O-N-G night. So very suggestive, in my opinion. Yeah. So, I mean, that might be my personal tagline as well. <laughs> it's going to be a long night. So, Christy, <laughs> since it's going to be a long night, are you buckled in and are you ready to? I am. I'm buckled in. I'm ready. I'm going to edit myself out chewing. You're welcome. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's head to Terror Tower, shall Let's we? Let's go. Take us there. So we have two siblings. You have Eddie, and you have Sue. Very simple names, very simple children. And they are touring London. So they're on this bus. They're touring London, yes. Right off the bat, they're parentless. 
They're parentless. Their parents are in a meeting. As is, yes. Big business meeting. We don't know what type of business, but just some business. A little sketch, right? Sort of. It's a little sketch. But I mean, then again, like kids, kids don't really like register that. I, I guess. You know? Yeah. Like, I feel like adults go to meetings all the time and kids are just like, whatever, it's bullshit. They're in meetings. Right. I just don't so, understand this life of, like, touring London. Right? Because As I was reading. we ever did was, like, get in a rented minivan and yeah. drive with my grandma in yeah. Alabama. <laughs> As I was reading this shit, I was like, we were underprivileged as children. I went to to Myrtle Beach. That's what I did. I got to tour my fucking backyard. My neighborhood, (laughs) the weird pond where somebody apparently years before had caught a giant snapping turtle, but I never saw photos. Uh I don't even know if it was real. Like, that's what I got to tour. But these kids are on double-decker buses touring London seeing the sights, honey. Seeing everything. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and this is a trend, right? In Goosebumps books, because there's no parents anywhere. Right. Where are your parents? Where are your parents? They don't exist. That's um, it. So, Eddie is the youngest. Sue is older. He's kind of, Eddie is described as being kind of like wimpier, and he's a little more skittish. He's mm-hmm. a little more um, frightful. Frightful, Yes. And Sue is older and she's kind of like the big sis, Mm -hmm. right? She's there to protect. She protect. She attack. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the vibe that you get from Sue. So they're visiting Terror Tower, which was a suggestion that came from Eddie. So when he was like talking about what they wanted to do, and he's like, well, let's go see Terror Tower. She was like, she was shook. Sue was like, oh, you little wimp ass, you want to go to Terror Tower? And he was like, yeah, I'm a man. I'm ready. Let's go. So they're there, and they gaze up at the gloomy old castle built of gray stones, darkened over time. Its two narrow towers rose up like stiff arms at its sides. Storm clouds begin to hover low over the dark towers. The old trees in the courtyard begin to shiver with the wind. The air gets heavy and cold it begins to rain all in all a very perfect day to visit the infamous terror tower this was the siblings first day in england and they had been sightseeing all over london their parents had to be at a conference air quote conference at their hotel Mm -hmm. so naturally they just signed their kids up to tour all fucking London by themselves. Like that's something that you can even do. Right. Like I feel like. Well, why I would you need like... to sign them up to tour by themselves? There's so right. much liability here. Right. I don't think this is a thing that happens anymore. I don't. I don't mm. think you can just put your kid on a bus and hope for and the best say, at this peace. point in time. Have fun exploring this fucking metropolis. Yeah. If you're a bus tour manager and you're doing this, like you're just taking people's children with a signature on a form, I don't think you should. I think that's a liability for you. Consider it free business advice. Maybe reevaluate, restructure. Well, I think that the problem is definitely that for some reason there's like a chunk of parents who never watched Unsolved Mysteries. And because of that, we have some very poor choices when it comes to touring around. Also, Kenny, when we're talking about this terror tower in London, are we, is, is this a reference to like the tower of london or is this a reference like london dungeons i think so i think think it's the tower of london i definitely think so 
Mm-hmm. I definitely think so. So um, the bus pulls up to a stop. They climb out, um, and they follow this narrow street made of bricks. And they end at this high wall, and behind the high wall, the terror tower rises up, rises up ominously. Hurry, Sue, Eddie tugged her, Eddie tugged my sleeve. We'll lose the group. They'll wait for us, I told my brother. Stop worrying, Eddie. We won't get lost. That's what was in the book that is foreshadowing. Just saying. They won't get lost. They're definitely going to get lost. They're definitely going to get lost. That's the thing with Stein. Like, little phrases like that, they'll be like, oh, we definitely won't get lost. And you're like, two well, chapters later. The second later. you make a decision where you're not somewhere you're supposed to be, you, you're fucked. Exactly. 100%. I mean, that's held true for me in life. So they're led by their tour guide, who is, his name is Mr. Starks, who I feel really bad for him because he's described as being bald and red-faced. And that's literally, like, that's his only descriptor was is he bald red-faced? and red-faced. I thought he was, like, super tall and, like, he had this dark overcoat and he was, like, lanky and, like, pale. No. <laughs> Really? No. Damn, I just built a whole ass character on no. that. So you might yeah, be thinking it's interesting about to hear you both describe different people from what yeah. you wanted well, it to be. I, I'll get I guess into we have this. different types. I don't know. <laughs> I'll get into this later, but there was a movie version of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you may be talking about the movie version. Maybe I'm subconsciously. Probably. Because I wasn't, I wasn't consciously. I couldn't conjure up a conscious memory of having watched the movie, but I'm sure I did. Yeah. Um, so, but he's only described as being bald and red faced. So I just, I feel really bad for him. Um, and he stops them at this pile of gray stones in a large grass covered courtyard. That was the original castle wall. He explained it was built by the Romans in about the year 400. Loman London, London was a Roman city then. Our bald, red-faced tour guide then tells the group that after the Romans left, the castle became a prison where many people suffered years of cruelty and torture behind its walls. Sue pulls out her camera and snaps a few pictures. She loves a Kodak moment, this girl. She does. Just saying. She's a photographer in training. She is a photographer in training. Um... So she pulls out her camera. She takes a few pictures, taking note at how much more dark the sky had gotten. Now, Mr. Starks then proceeds to inform the group that this was London's first debtor's prison. So if you couldn't pay your bills, you got locked up and tortured. And because fucking nobody could pay their bills, pretty much everyone stayed in prison forever. So as they continue to walk, Sue turns back and gazes at the dark wall that surrounds the castle grounds. Look, Eddie, she whispers, you can't see any of the city outside the wall. It's as if we really stepped back in time. Suddenly, the tour guide stops. He tells them that he's so sorry to have to give them this bad news, but that they all will be imprisoned in the North Tower, and that they will be tortured until they tell them the real reason why the group chose to come here. Now, Mr. Starks lets out a chuckle over his round red face. It's actually how it was written in the book. <laughs> I feel like you were very triggered by this. Because I Are have there a perhaps round any red reasons? face. And I'm like, uh, this this can't be this man's only descriptor. Clearly, he's a comedian, right? Well, maybe Clearly, he, he should have hot. his own comedy Was it podcast, derogatory? Right? 
Like, no, was he like, on his ugly round face? Or was he it like wasn't a that he face? was ugly, but it was just like he has a red round face. I think maybe we've found a sensitive subject. Maybe he's got there. rosacea. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe he's just Scottish. Maybe. Probably. He's probably mm-hmm. just fucking angry because he's a tour guide and he's got to deal with these fucking kids who their parents just fucking left <laughs> on he's the bus. Oh he lets everyone know that that's just a little terror tower joke and that he's, you know, just got to have some fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And I get it. I mean, this guy's making minimum wage, whatever the fuck that was in London in the 90s. And, you know, he's got you know his red round face so it doesn't sound like our guy is getting any it doesn't sound like that to me i could be wrong speaking as a lady with a red round face well listen i i just he might be doing just fine potentially i just have this fantasy that there's this like equally as red and round faced love interest Mm -hmm. that works like ticket sales at the front of the tower Mm -hmm. so that's just me but well, soon- and I'd hate to out myself here, but like sometimes or maybe most of the time, I don't know if it is like a thing about confidence or knowledge, but in general, the tour guides that I've seen have been kind of hot in weird ways that I don't understand. Well, they're knowledgeable. I think it's things. a brain smart thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a smart, you know, the brain smart talk thing yep. that I want to know sorry please continue it might also be an authority thing we should talk about that later. that too interesting <laughs> we love an authority um, here sue then begins to note how cheerful and helpful mr starks is but that her only problem was trying to understand his british accent <laughs> you understand that that's like this is this actually comes up several times in the book where sue just like cannot understand british people yeah. and she like has a problem with like, I just can't understand his funny accent. And it's so, it's so just weird and like, but funny at the same time, but also offensive. Yes. I'm just Um, like, damn, (laughs) this is America. (laughs) Then a wave of gasps could be heard in the crowd. And behind Mr. Starks crept up this large hooded man wearing an ancient green tunic and carried an enormous battle axe. An executioner. (laughs) He raised the battle axe behind Mr. Starks. Mr. Starks then proceeds to tell us another joke. He says, does anyone here need a very fast haircut? This is the castle barber. Look, here's the thing. Get this man a comedy show That's what I'm saying. Comedy show, comedy podcast. I need it. So Mr. Starks then announces they're about to enter the torture chamber. And for them to please stick together. He raised a red pennant on a long stick and told them that he'd carry it high so that the group could find him easily. It's so easy to get lost inside. There are hundreds of chambers and secret passages. Mm-hmm. But this red flag Which on is- a stick is good. <laughs> okay. Essentially, he did raise a red flag. Right. He did raise a red flag on a stick. Damn. Christy got it. (laughs) This is very much like when I, so when I was in Scotland, I toured a bunch of different um, like fortresses and things. And it was very much this type of moment. Like I remember I was on one particular tour um, in the castle of Edinburgh, I believe. And 
they were like, this is where we jailed the Americans. And of course, my Scottish friend who I'm there touring with is like, <laughs> she like looks at me with that grin. And I'm just like, damn it, don't do this. And she like raises her hand and she's like, we've got an American. Let's jail her. And I'm like, damn you, bitch. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was getting flashbacks as I was reading this portion. I was like, oh, shit. Uh-huh. And it is spooky. Entering a place like this is very spooky. If you ever had this experience of going to a place that's old and has this much history, like it, there's a vibe about it. Mm-hmm. I love the little I've movement actually been you did to the there. Tower of London. They can't see it, but have she- you, Christy? Wait, what'd she yeah. say? She's been to the Tower. I've of been London. to the Tower of oh, London. Oh, you have been to the Tower of London. Oh shit! Yeah, what yeah, we went. Well, so uh, after my senior year, like, you know, everybody's doing these senior trips and I'm a big giant nerd and I didn't want to go to Cancun because I could get laid oh. at home. Yeah. And um, I I instead talked my parents into going, the school went and it was a company called ASICS and they take tours. Um, so I went like my French teacher and like some other people uh, from class and it was like a tour from... We landed in uh, London and then we toured all the way down and we crossed the English Channel and then we toured the, and then we ended in Paris and then we flew back from Paris. Um, so one of the wow. days that we were there in London was like a free afternoon. And I really wanted to go to London Dungeons and like see all the Jack the Ripper stuff. And I was told very politely that no one wanted to do that. So instead, we all went to Tower of London. They had big ass crows. Hmm. And, and I'm assuming that you didn't meet a hunky executioner dressed in a green smock. No, no. And uh, yeah, no, there was very little romance on the school trip. Uh, there are only two dudes there. And one of them was very much um, enamored with another girl. And the other dude would later come out of the closet. So Sue and Eddie wouldn't find very much romance during their tour of the terror tower of terror either. <laughs> How did I do? Was it good? They would not. Absolutely nothing. Uh, no. Uh, but they do find the torture chamber. Mr. Stark says that you will see some very unusual torture devices. The wardens had many ways to inflict pain on their poor prisoners. We recommend that you do not try them at home. I knew that you were going to... When I was reading this fucking book... <laughs> And I got across, I came across that line and I was like, Kenny's going to pull that out. Uh, you fucking, for sure. Yeah. Kenny's going to pull this out. Absolutely. So, you know. Regardless of being asked repeatedly to leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. Hey! But hey. maybe, I mean, just a public service announcement. Maybe do try it at home. Maybe some of it. Maybe, maybe, maybe whatever try it at home safely. With. Yes, you know, and consensually. Just safely, consensually. Find a safe word. Anyway, moving on. Yes. So the entrance was made of solid stone and had no windows except for a tiny square, uh, square one near the very top. Sue realized that actual people were imprisoned here. Real people hundreds of years ago. She suddenly wondered if the castle was haunted. She told Eddie to turn around as she took her camera out of her pocket. Eddie wanted to keep going because the other group was getting ahead of them. I just want to take your picture at the castle entrance, Sue said. She raised the camera as Eddie made a dumb face, and she pressed the shutter release and snapped the picture. She had no way of knowing that it was the last picture she would ever take of Eddie. Dun, Which dun, is an dun, ominous dun, as fuck dun, statement to be made. Pretty much. Very mm-hmm. creepy. So Mr. Starks led the way down a narrow stairway. The air smelled old and dusty. 
There were several display cases against the wall, and Mr. Starks led the way to a large wooden structure in the center of the room. So they make their way to the rack. So Sue had seen uh, big torture devices like this in movies and comic books, but had never really thought they existed for some reason. I'm like, hmm. what? So you saw them in movies, but just didn't well, think that, that was an actual thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's true. It could be a thing. I guess. There's a difference between seeing something in, like, on a screen okay, and, but, and seeing the real life object, I think. There's a power in that. But what movies was she watching that she was seeing, like... Well, like, even um, Adam's family, they had a rack. But she's a kid, and there there's no internet. And it's not probably something they're going to teach her in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So she stares at this long wooden contraption with its thick ropes and straps and pictured someone lying there. So she's sitting there, and she's just trying to imagine that the creak of the wheel turning and the ropes pulling together and tighter. She glanced up, and her eye caught sight of a dark figure standing on the other side of the rack. He was very tall and broad, dressed in a long mm. black cape, and had a black wide-brimmed mm-hmm. hat down over his forehead, mm-hmm. hiding most of his face in the shadow. His eyes glowed darkly. Sue poked Eddie. See that man over there? The one in black? Is he in our group? Eddie shook his head and said that he'd never seen him before. Why is he staring at us like that? The man pulled the hat lower, his eyes disappearing beneath the wide brim. His black cape swirled as he stepped back into the shadows. Sue decides that she just has to get a picture of this thing, but as she reaches into her coat pocket, realizes that her fucking camera's gone. Why is her camera gone? We're about to find out. She starts freaking out, and she's she's worried. This book has a lot. So first of all, the the figure that we just saw sounds like Max. Uh, um, very yeah. familiar with that. Sounds Would like avoid. Professor Snape, actually, yes. if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also this book has a lot of like, as you finish a chapter, there's like an immediate cliffhanger. Yeah. And there's a lot every to chapter. kind of like, yeah. yes, every chapter ends on a cliffhanger. And this was one of them. And I was just like, for fucking real? Because you start the next chapter. And of course, Eddie has stolen her camera. And the movies are just like that too. Yeah. The movies yeah. are exactly like that. They set those up exactly. Yeah. So um, she notices that Eddie is smiling. Um, He's a little shit. <laughs> and uh, he has stolen her camera. He says, the mad pickpocket strikes again. And Sue gets big mad. Like, she gets mad and she shoves Eddie backwards, causing him to stumble into the rack. Like, girl, calm down. It was your fucking Kodak disposable camera. Like, Which is also a beautiful moment of foreshadowing, though. True. Because she pushes him and he stumbles back into the rack, which True. is like, mm, mm-hmm. mm. Also, why didn't they have more like guards around? Like, right. You know, like Where's partitions? your velvet rope well, around I, this rack? It sounds like they hit ta- Terror Tower on like LARP weekend. Yeah. So <laughs> right? LARP weekend. Well, that's what they think. That's what they think eventually. So we, we understand at this point that Eddie has a rather nasty habit of pickpocketing and considers it a hobby, and apparently he's pretty good at being a thief. A gift. A gift, yes. And so as Eddie and Sue hurry to keep up with the group, Sue looks back to see the man in the black cape. He's kind of lumbering up behind them, and she kind of feels like a stab of fear in her chest. Was he watching them, and what was he watching them for? Why? What's this crazy man doing? She kind of just shook it off. 
Because yeah. he's a child predator. Probably. <laughs> I mean, also that. Also that. Please run from him. Also that. Where is the fucking, where are those movies with To Catch a Predator when they come out from the back? Yeah, right. Where's that guy? Yes. Chris Hansen? Where's yes. That, yes. Chris that Hansen guy. on the scene. Mm-hmm. Chris Hansen falls out of the darkness. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> 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 yes the the tour guide just takes off his mask that he's been wearing and it's fucking chris hansen and he's like yeah. uh, jokes on you <laughs> doesn't look like you'll be getting cookies today sir <laughs> so she's like she shakes it off as that this guy's just probably another tourist but she still feels rather awkward that he's following them the group makes their way into a room full of um other nasty torture devices uh they're talking about thumb screws there's a pair of metal handcuffs that have like a jagged row of metal spikes on the inside yeah yeah, yeah. we don't need to talk about my bedroom stuff. Oh, oh yeah keep those in the drawer <laughs> but um well sue decides that it's a great idea to try these on to show eddie how they worked and then suddenly the heavy metal cuff just kind of clicks shut and sue's screaming she's hollering she's tugging at it she's telling eddie help can't get it off it's cutting me it's cutting me i mean like fucking no shit sherlock like you just slap some fucking jagged edge fucking handcuffs on your on your wrist i really hope you get a fucking techno shot after this i was gonna say you need a shot you're gonna get locked jaw take your shot so Eddie starts freaking out. Sue starts to laugh as she slid the cuff off her wrist because she's trying to pay him back for stealing her fucking camera. Mm. Another cliffhanger. Another cliffhanger. Yes. And he's kind of sad because he thought that she was hurt. And he told her, he's like, don't do that again, Sue. I mean it. Like a really like true moment there between brother and sister. Like, I really thought you were hurt. Don't do that. So Sue knew it wasn't very mature, but that her brother doesn't always bring out the best in her. Mr. Starks led them up to the narrow stairway up to the North Tower, and our siblings find themselves at the end of the single file line. The stone, tear, the stone stairs twisted up like a corkscrew. There was no hand railing, and the stairs were so steep and so twisty they had to hold onto the wall to keep their balance. The air grew warmer as they made their way higher. Sue noted how even she kept bumping the sides of the wall, despite how skinny she was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she does really <laughs> she hit that. She can fit right through. She hits that really hard. She she's does like, hit that. She's like, oh, I'm still bumping the walls despite how skinny I am. It was a moment of deviation for me because not even at whatever her age is, like not even a, as a preteen did I ever feel that way. I saw that. I read that and I was like, hmm. She's going to grow up to be one of those Fear Street bitches. Yeah, yeah probably. Right? <laughs> well, I will tell you, like, they do have those, like, tight, windy, but here, here's something gross to go with it. About every story or two, there would be, like, kind of an out, like an outcropping on those, like, spiral staircases um, where it was, like, a stone kind of platform with a hole in it, and that's where you would sit to take a shit. Oh. Mm. And then your shit would go through like a tube and fall out to the outer wall and then just rain down the outer wall of the tower. (laughs) Just. Well, a little nugget for you. Sorry if anybody was eating. I wonder why the fucking plague (laughs) happened. No, it's fine. Have another slice of your uh, thin and crispy there. (laughs) Um, I already ate it and it was delicious. 
So after climbing for what seemed like hours, they stopped on a landing. Straight ahead of the, straight ahead of them was a small dark cell behind metal bars. Mr. Starks told them that this was a cell in which political prisoners were held. Enemies of the king were brought there. Inside, it contained only a small stone bench and a wooden writing table. A member of the group asked what happened to these prisoners. Did they stay in the cell for years and years? No, they were beheaded, Mr. Starks says casually. As the group continues to climb, Sue gets a strange feeling, like she'd been here before and had followed the twisting stairs, that she had climbed to the top of this ancient tower before. But that was impossible, right? She and Eddie had never been to England before in their lives, but why did it look so familiar to her? Perhaps you can feel the sadness in this room, Mr. Stark said. This is the tower room where a young prince and princess were brought. It was early 15th century. The prince and princess, Edward and Susanna, wink, 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 wink. really hard, really hard, hard wink there. Go on. Edward and Susanna of York, of York, were locked in this tiny tower cell. Sue suddenly felt cold. Put on your jacket. (laughs) Sue is so shaken that she actually has the audacity to drop her camera. And it shatters. Time out. We're... Wait. So they just put them up there together? The two... The The prince and the princess? Yes. Oh, they're siblings. Oh, lame. I thought this was like a romance thing where it's like, they locked us in this room together. And then nine months later... Okay. No, absolutely not. No, these no. are brother and sister. Oh, that's less yes. fun. Okay, continue. Yes. So Sue is like, she's shook. And she drops her camera, shattering the lens. And the stone walls suddenly seem to close in on her. And she feels as if she is in a dark closet. She has this cold, frightening feeling about her. And she wonders if this is how the prince and princess must have felt. And with a heavy sigh, she turned to Eddie let's get out of here. Let's get the fuck out. Let's go. Yes. Let's get out. Gotta go. G-T-F-O. Yeah. Of here. Right. This room is just too frightening and too sad. And I wanted to pose the question to the group. Have you ever been in in a room where you just felt such sadness and like that it was just too frightening that you had to leave? Like, have y'all ever experienced that? Yes, but I'll let you go. answer first. Oh, well, oh okay. Well, damn. You go first. Well, um, so this this actually happens to me a lot. Um, I'm not religious. My husband is. Um, but both of us pick up vibes from places and from people pretty heavily. And um, so much so that, like, we can go to a place and immediately know that we don't want to be there for no reason at all. There is a um, there's a part of Colorado Springs where there's a lot of crime. Um, it's in the Cripple Creek area. There's a lot of like casinos and stuff there. Me and the hub's like a nickel slot, you know. So we'll go hang out at a casino for a while. So we drive down there. This was before we had kids and could have fun. We drive down there to go to the casinos, and when we enter the town, we both kind of looked at each other like. Um, okay, 
So if we keep going, we're like, maybe this is, you know, maybe we're getting like a false read on it or whatever. Um, and then we, we go into like a cafe and the people are strange. And the, mm. the air is strange. And at one point we look at each other and we're like, do you want to get out of here? Would you like to leave? And, and my husband's like, yes, yes, I would. I want to leave right now. So we paid our bill and we got the fuck out of there. I don't, there's no logical reason for it, but we both felt it at the same time, just crossing the border into that place. Fuck, I want to go there now. <laughs> yeah, though. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, <laughs> shit, like Patreon content? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is why we're not going to be here for you. Um, <laughs> that's why we're going to get taken out. Yeah. Um, at yeah, any moment, I, we I, were expecting people's eyes to, like, black over and, like, mm-hmm. not be able to leave. Have to fight your way out. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Katie. No. I. So, I, I very much am the same. I pick up on the whole vibes thing. Always always doing a vibe check. Um, the only place that I found... I mean, there's been a lot of places where there's been, like, weird air, as you said. But the only place that I have um, felt the need to immediately flee um, was when I actually toured the Edinburgh vaults. Mm -hmm. I've talked about it a little bit on our show. We Mm -hmm. actually did an episode on the Edinburgh vaults. And I had such a strong reaction when I was in there um, of... So for those who don't know, the Edinburgh vaults were a place in Edinburgh go figure, where when uh, the feudal system was ended, there were a lot of feudal serfs who were forced, basically they were they were let go, so they weren't serfs anymore, so that was cool, because um, informal slavery is not great, but also they didn't have any jobs, so they didn't have any way to feed themselves or their families, so they flocked in large numbers to um, the cities. Edinburgh was the, the major city. And so with this, with all these new, this new sort of influx of people, there was nowhere to put those people. They didn't have anywhere to live and they didn't have any money to pay to live anywhere anyway. Um, So what they did is they lived in these vaults under the city and it was a place for the most desperate of desperate. And just walking into that space, you feel like it's one of the most haunted places on earth. And you, I felt the sense of oppression and just dread and heat and bodies and pressure and just building and building and building and building to the point that in one of the rooms, I actually like had to like step out (laughs) because um, it felt like I was being pressed. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, all right, I'm head out. I'm head out. (laughs) Um, And it was and it was really, really, really intense. And it didn't let up until I was out of the vaults and back on the streets. And even then, the further that I got away from the vaults, the more I sort of felt that draining away. Um, and so it was very, it was very weird. Um, and I've always sort of picked up on vibes on places, but that's the only place I've been in where I was like, okay, you need to go like now. You need like, to get out. Like you got to go now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, Tell me about you. Uh well I don't pick up on vibes like that. He's like I'm not about that. Fuck that. I'm not. I, I mean I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I don't pick up on vibes like that. I I, I can only really count. Um. I, I I and I've said this before. I'm much more. I'm much more tuned in to, um, 
actual human beings and picking up on like small changes in behaviors and different things like that. Um, and so I'm much more tuned into that. Hello, trauma response probably, but anyway, um, but the only time that I've ever like really had a really nasty feeling about a place was this one time when me and my mother and my sister, we moved into this, uh, we moved into this like ranch style house. Um, and we were literally only there for maybe two weeks. We moved there, um, out into the country. It was like next to a, to the County landfill. And we moved there for a little bit. Um, and, like the house inside was just really like it had this like gunk on the inside of one of the walls that almost looked like it was probably like tar from smoking but like I remember before we moved in like we were trying to clean and clean and clean and clean and it would just like it just kept like almost like seeping back into the walls and like it would turn Mm -hmm. yellow and nasty again it was really weird and um and then, like, I would go out into the woods because you probably don't know this about me, but I actually, when I was younger, used to enjoy going out into the woods. Being outside. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and so, in the woods just felt really weird. Like, I would hear weird things. And, like, at one point, I looked up and there were, on a set of trees, there were dolls that were nailed to, like, the tops of trees at, like, a really tall level. It was like teddy bears and dolls and they were all just like nailed to the top of the trees and I'm like hmm huh hmm I'm gonna turn around and go back and we only stayed in the house for about two weeks because um we ended up uh not being able to keep the house uh due to like personal reasons and we left but that's about it yeah You know, what would be really fascinating is if we could design an experiment where you took a sampling of people and sent them into a room um, blindfolded or with the lights off and then tell them that, okay, there's a certain number of people in this room. They're going to be quiet. We want to see if you can sense how many people are in the room, but actually not put people in the room Mm -hmm. and see what they say. Yeah. I think that'd be fascinating. I think yeah. so too. That would be cool. Um, but that's the kind of feeling that these, that our, our uh, kids here, they have in this room, they're ready to go. But as they turn around, um, they're, they're shook because Mr. Starks and their tour group have gone. They rolled <laughs> they the fuck out. They said, out. look, oh, no. I have this red flag and I'm going, you better follow. And follow them. So at this point, our guys are freaking out, but they figure that, hey, clearly they must have already went back down the stairs. You know, they're trying to reason like they must, you know, they just they just left. They're like down the stairs. All they have to do is catch up to them. Right. Um, They wondered why they never heard their tour group leave. um, And they just kind of made the assumption that it was late. And Mr. Starks probably wanted to get everyone back onto the bus like a responsible tour guide that he is. The tower closes uh, closed at 5, and it was now 5.20, but they couldn't hear anybody on the stairs, and they start to they start to panic. So they start running down the stairs, and they notice that the temperature begins to change. They notice that there seems to be a stairway that wasn't there before. 
um, and they start hearing footsteps. And they thought that it was Mr. Starks coming back for them, but when the, the dark figure appeared in the stairway below, the same dark figure that they had saw earlier, they stopped and they asked, is this the way down? And he didn't move. His eyes just burned back up at them. And they try to plead with him to say that they had gotten separated from their tour group. And the man just raises his hand and he kind of growls at them and says, you will come with me now. I don't want to hurt you, but if you try to escape, I will have no choice. Uh, is he yikes. animatronic? Uh, no, he is a living, breathing... There's no Imagineers animal. at the Terror Tower? There's not, so. but that was a really good guess. I don't think so. Damn. Um, so Eddie and Sue just kind of start freaking out. They think that surely this is just a guard here and he's dressed in costume. Like Christy said, maybe he's a LARP. Uh, but he keeps coming towards them and Sue continues to plead, apologizing for being there so late, um, but that doesn't stop him. He says, you know why I am here. And he grabs Sue by the shoulder. Eddie, being the great little brother that he is, is like, hey, let go of her. But the man grabbed him too and backed them against the cold stone wall. And it was then that they both demanded for the gentleman to let them go. But of course, he's ignoring them at this point because clearly this man has an agenda. Uh, and he begins to pull out these three white... No! <laughs> Don't pull it out. <laughs> Don't pull it out. <laughs> keep No, keep well. that for you. Keep that for you and whoever you're close to who's a baby. I'm not comfortable. You're not right. <laughs> He pulls out these three white stones. stones, It's three white stones. (laughs) And he's mumbling to himself. It's a child at birth defect. (laughs) (laughs) He gets mad. Oh, God. (laughs) It's Christy, okay? It's Christy, okay? I need more wine. Hang on. Oh, please. (laughs) That's definitely the solution. So the man pulls out these three white stones and he's mumbling to himself. He (laughs) then gets really mad um, because one of the stones falls to the floor. And it's at this point that Sue realized that this was her opportunity. This was her big break. And they had to run for it. So they're running down the stairs. This man is like, he's crying out, you know, for them, telling them to stop. Her camera, apparently he writes it again that like her camera falls out of her pocket. Again. Again. And Just I'm can't like, keep a handle on that camera, huh? I'm pretty sure like put a wristlet on the camera. Yeah. Maybe. I don't well, know. It's yeah. just one of the disposables, right? It's not an expensive yeah. camera. So, and, and he made a note to write that she didn't stop to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it was broken anyway. Uh, so she urged Eddie to keep going. They keep running down these stairs. They run into this big door. Um, and they're trying to push it and push it open, but it's not budging. And then finally, with one like big, strong push, they're able to get it open just a little bit. Um, and then once they're on the other side, they slam it shut and they're able to lock it with a big metal latch. And again, here we go with a cliffhanger. They think they're safe. But then as they turn around, they realize that they're in this huge dark room. And there's some man who is laughing softly in the dark. And this voice is saying, you have entered the king's dungeon. Abandon all hope. Yeah, there's definitely some kind of a weekend LARPy 
thing that they're too young for going on here. Mm-hmm. So they're in this room. They hear this voice. They begin looking and seeing that there are these other cells around. And all of a sudden, there are these bony white hands sticking out from the cell. So they spot a little uh, a corner where there's like a little sliver of light and they get the bright idea that, you know, this is probably a way out. So let's check it out. So they run. Uh, Sue trips over this body that's chained to the middle of the floor. And then she realizes that it's a dummy. And then as they start looking around, they realize that the hands that are coming out of the cells are fake. And that the voice was just a tape recording. So they're kind of like, okay, we're fine. It's it's great. Everything's going to be fine now. That is until the man comes bursting into the door. Somehow he busts open from this fucking iron latch that's on there. But whatever. He he busts in and tells them that he just that they just cannot escape. There's no way that they can escape. And that you know you will not leave this castle. So as the man starts to run for them, he also trips over the fucking body in the floor. <laughs> it's really inconvenient, you see. Gotta move that yeah. body. We've we gotta we gotta move this. Not not great, not great placement here. So uh on the opposite side of the room, Sue spots a work table against the wall, which is cluttered with tools. She searches for a weapon, didn't see one. So what does she do? She grabs a flashlight instead. Yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's no weapon? No, it's no isn't we- the whole no place a weapon stocked with weapons. Well, my thing technically is, it's static torture though. Static torture very different from like a melee uh, weapon, right? Okay. There's the difference. So my issue with this is is that it clearly states this is a work table cluttered with tools. Right, hammer, oh, okay. screwdriver. So out of tools, saw, circular weapon, saw, flashlight, not a weapon also here's the thing you've got two hands girl one of them's not carrying your camera anymore so you can grab a camera and a flash i mean you can grab a hammer and a flashlight Mm -hmm. you also got a little brother too who can also carry two items you also like video game like logic i'm just saying so anyway they spot a low opening in the wall and they start crawling through it and it's this old sewer so they run through the old sewer, but then when Sue drops her flashlight and tries to grab it, she grabs it, looks up, and then the light flashes on the man who's right behind them, chasing them. Very scary moment. Again, he's telling them there's no escape, and she's like, fucking watch me, dude. <laughs> so he grabs them, or attempts to. She ducks out of the way, and then all of a sudden, she freezes in terror because all she can see ahead of the of the 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 sewer, which is the flashlights shining up above, is rats. And there's hundreds of them. And there are these chittering gray rats scrabbling all over the sewer floor. And they're snapping their jaws, gnashing their jagged teeth, and they're charging at them. So the cape man saw them too and's like, shit. And he leaps back in surprise. And this is a living a living tidal wave of rats. And Eddie and Sue uh, end up spotting a little like um, metal rung on the ceiling. They jump up, hold on to the rungs, which allows the rats to pass through under them. But our guy in the cloak and the, and the hat and broad-shouldered guy, not so lucky. 
So the rats end up chasing the guy out of the tunnel. Which is weird because this is this big, tall, like scary man. And you would think that like some rats weren't, wouldn't like. Did I miss where the wave of rats came from? They just came out of nowhere. Out of fucking nowhere. Let me tell you, this scene is iconic. This scene, absolutely everything. Similar to when we are introduced to the scarab beetles and the mummy. Mm, Very much that. Swarms of rats on rats on rats that move like water and overtake this gigantic, like gargantuan figure of a man and just bring him down iconic scene pretty much iconic scene Here's why i'm having trouble being afraid of the man in the cape he is wearing a cape right and i feel like that's a hindrance like i right. feel like if you get too close to me i can jerk on your cape and make you go to the ground every time you know you can jerk on his white stones my girl from the incredibles that's what she he said no capes. Only two now. I'm on no capes. exactly no capes no capes no capes Which is no for me being a leo because no i love a fucking cape yeah <laughs> you know i but love she's the right. drama but she's right but the practicality of it isn't there um mm-hmm. she would have something to say in this situation she if would. she was here so they, uh, so the rats run this uh, creepy guy out, and Sue and her brother drop down after the coast is clear. And they start walking. They find a ladder that leads up to the top. Uh, so they look. They see that it's a beautiful night sky. They crawl out, and they are safe. All they have to do is get on the fucking bus. But where is the bus? Bus is not here. Bus is gone. Bus has done left them. Our round, red-faced tour guide said, you snooze, you lose. Time for me to be home. Time for me to go. So the parking lot's empty. Um, no bus. There's nobody around. And they're like, well, how are we going to get back to our hotel room? They all of a sudden meet this uh, white-haired man who's like limping towards them. He's got a big gray overcoat, uh, small gray hat, and very skinny. And he asked if these, if they were the two kids that the bus driver was looking for. And essentially this guy helps them uh, call a cab great guy love him he's like i'm gonna get you a cab we'll get you to the get you to the hotel room and sue makes note that you know they could pay for the cab because her dad had given them had given her some money so they there's the like, money go like, go see london uh-huh. like the Here's biggest the city in the world full of crime your two children it will be fine there was no sex trade in 1995 True. yeah it's fine no that didn't exist so they're driving away in this cab. She doesn't want to look back at the terror tower. She doesn't want to see it again. And the cab pulled up to her hotel and the driver told them that it'd be 15 pounds and 60 pence. So Jeez. Sue didn't know what that meant. <laughs> She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Literally, it says uh, Sue did not know what he meant, but pulled the money from her pocket that her parents gave her and asked the driver to pull the correct amount from him from it he looked at her like she was stupid because apparently she was trying to pay with fake coins and he's big mad and wants his 15 pounds and 60 pence and he wants it now yeah this guy was an asshole by the way yeah very very much an asshole he eddie and sue tried to fuse the situation by telling the cabbie that they just get their parents to come down and pay so that they'd go into yeah you're at the hotel right we're just gonna go get our parents we're just gonna go get our parents they'll 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 do that um 
So they're a little confused as to why their parents had given them this weird currency. They go up to their room and knock on the door for mom and dad. No voices, no footsteps. A maid stops by asking if they're all right and lets the two kids in, which I don't think would happen. Like, you just don't let people in like that into hotel rooms. But but the room was dark. It was empty. There were no messages from mom and dad. Uh, nothing on the notepad. Nothing. No sign that anyone had even been in the room. So they're starting to freak out at this point, and Eddie and Sue run downstairs to the lobby to try and find out where this meeting was. This, like, big, important, like, meeting that we're flying fucking across the globe to attend. Um, that they still could not remember what it was for. Pretty Real much. estate, financial advising, lawyers. Oh, so they did what any kid would do when lost in a hotel room, unable to find, or in a hotel, unable to find their parents and owing a cabbie uh, fare for the ride. They went and checked with reception. They did. The clerk is there and he's asking them all these questions like what room they're staying in, but when he searches the room, he can't find anything. It's vacant. He asks them what their full names are, and Eddie and Sue just can't answer him. Sue gets what? upset, and her body starts to shake as tears begin to well up. She could not remember her last name. And neither could Eddie. Exactly. Neither of the children could remember their last name. Yep. They so were the- exposed to mold that <laughs> has made them... Hallucinate Not and the forget. Mold. Not the mold. <laughs> now. Not the mold. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking mold. They just can't remember. Uh, so the clerk just ca- kind of calmly tells them to just calm down. <laughs> like, girl, <laughs> uh, you need to chill. Um, sir, and so sir. try to. F- sir. <laughs> I'm going to need you to be calm. I know the you know who was, you are. The clerk was literally like sure. that meme where it's like, this is a Wendy's, <laughs> except <laughs> this is the Barclay Hotel. Yes. <laughs> the Walmart face. Do you know about the Walmart face? Uh-uh. uh-uh. What is that? What is that? Okay. You have an assignment. So the next time you are in Walmart, Go to any department that is not the front and ask whatever person you see there who is an employee a question about a department that is not their own. And you will receive the Walmart face. (laughs) I feel like I'll just have someone tell me to fuck off. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Report back. It will be the same face. Okay. I will. I will. So in the meantime, uh, he tells them to just have a seat in the dining room. The hotel would get them something to eat. So they're sitting there and they're having high tea. They're eating scones, little triangle sandwiches. When they get the idea that if they could describe their parents to the clerk, they'd be able to find them. Problem is, they realize they can't even remember what their parents looked like. They only remembered the room number. They couldn't remember where they lived or anything before the day before that day they couldn't remember anything so also awkward because they're sitting there eating fucking high tea and scones and the cabbie comes in and he's like where's my money they're like we got a fucking 
bolt. And the, yeah. Like, listen, we're trying to figure this out. Would you like a sandwich while we, we don't? How about this? Yeah. I'll give you the scone. <laughs> it's a barter. <laughs> My cup of tea says that you are paid in full. <laughs> He's British. You might go for it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's worth a shot. Yeah. So they're it's Eddie and Sue. They're trying to escape the cabbie. They find this hallway uh, outside of the kitchen. They run to the kitchen. Um. And who do they run into? They run into our caped man from earlier. He then came back. He, he then got his cape back. He then survived him. Yes. I like to imagine that at this point, this was not in the book. This was me. But I like to imagine that at this point, his face is like half gnawed off by fucking rats. Oh, that would be amazing. And his cape is like all holy and shit. Stein didn't give us that. That was my contribution. But like a gnawed off, like a half gnawed off face. I see it. rats. Yeah. How cool is that? That would be awesome. He lifts his hat in greeting and a rat like runs off of his head. Yes. And he's like <laughs> trained them to be his like assistants. Um, yeah. I love this. I love this. <laughs> I have spent time with the rats. I've understood them. <laughs> so I'm the master now. All they wanted was a friend. <laughs> You just needed a leader. So he's here. He's like got his hand out and he looks at Eddie and he's like, give them back. Eddie's like, oh, what are you talking about? And the guy's like, give them back. Clearly, this little pickpocket here wants his stones back. Eddie had pickpocketed them from the guy when he had grabbed them in the sewer. Um, and you'll see that this is a running theme. Uh, throughout the book that Eddie just kind of like always steals the stones back. Like he they kind of go back everything. Yeah. Um, so in my mind, Eddie's wearing these like little fingerless gloves and he's going, <laughs> yeah, he's basically Pippin, but the thief. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the man grabs the stones back and begins chanting these like weird, this weird language. Um, I'm pretty sure that it was British because Sue couldn't understand it. Um, (laughs) and the hallway begins to shimmer. The doors begin to wiggle and bend as if made of rubber. The floor buckles and sways and the hallway throbbed with a blinding white light. Sue felt a stab of pain as if she had hit hard, been hit hard in the stomach. She couldn't breathe and everything went black. So now Sue begins to slowly open her eyes and she's looking around. She sees that she is in this long hall. It's lit by flickering candles. The Cape Man is nowhere to be found. And again, they're just really trying to come to terms with things and just assume that this is like an old section of the hotel. Yeah. Clearly. Totally. Right? Definitely. We didn't just oh, fucking still time we're travel. rationalizing things. She yeah, still? very much that. Very much that. They bump into these people wearing long robes and their faces are hidden under dark hoods and they're moving silently. And so Eddie like kind of calls out to one of them and is like, can you tell me where the elevator is? And this old man (laughs) like looks back at him. Do not leave the Abbey. I smell evil around you. Your time is near. So near. 
So very near. Was it near, sir? Because I need to know. Because I don't think I got it the first time you told me. So, Sue and Eddie are essentially like, what the fuck? But they shook it off as some sort of joke. Again, we're trying to rationalize everything. And they just assume that the guys are headed to some sort of uh, costume party. Whatever. (laughs) At this point. Yeah. They Might be LARPing. I'm assuming so. They travel down the candlelit hall, um, but start feeling more and more lost. There's no elevators, there's no stairs, no red exit sign, none of that. Um, Until eventually they end up uh, into this dining room. And in this dining room, there's a bunch of weird people in here, according to Sue. Because they thought that they were stepping out into the hotel restaurant, but they were not. It was not the restaurant they expected. Uh, In this room were two blazing fireplaces, uh, people were all around in strange costumes. They sat on low benches around wooden tables. There was a deer uh, turning on a spit. There were some chickens running around. Uh-huh. No They plagues. was all kind of mess, and they were also eaten with their hands. Yes, exactly. I want to be invited to this party. Right? You know, right? I mean, did she not just stumble into, like, a Ren fair? Yes. <laughs> like- <laughs> Honestly, my mind went straight to, like, Mosque of the Red Death. And it's oh, like, yeah. with like masks, and we're eating some like red meat, and there's like wine. Why was I not invited? So it's like that, but a lot less fancy because they're all dressed in rags. Yeah. And you know, bitch, I am a costume designer. I immediately dress everyone. Like, <laughs> Chrissy's like, I am here. Yeah. Damn it. How iconic would it be to go for to go to a fair? Dressed in something that Christy made. Yes. <gasps> Iconic. And do that. I've done that for many people. <laughs> you could call it a We need profession. to find a, a rent fair post-COVID. <laughs> uh, I've actually always wanted to go to one of those. Oh, I've been many times. Good fun. Sometimes if you go to a one, they will have like a feast. Like um, when, when I lived in Texas with my ex-husband, we used to go every year to the um, – Texas Renaissance Festival, which is in Magnolia. And it's not like, you know, here's this crappy booth that like we put up for this traveling rent fair. They've actually built a city and it stays there wow. year round. And then they That's take cool. two months out of the year. No, it's more than that because it's all summer and it goes all the way through to almost November because it's in Texas, it's in South Texas. And each weekend has a different theme. And you can get tickets to something called the King's Feast. And we went many times. They are not cheap. It's like $200 a ticket. But it is Damn. a seven-hour experience where you go and sit with other people in costume and literally have a feast. And the royalty come in and the gestures come in and they do different games. Like it is a, And it's endless. It's bottomless wine and beer. So everybody's fucked Hell up. Oh, yeah. I'm into it. It's a good time. Bottomless wine. That's all you got to tell me. So they end up in this room. um, And so they try to, they go up to this guy and they're like, hey, can you help us? And he starts looking at them like, oh, you're you. And they're like, what? And he's like, it's them. So then everyone in the room just kind of stops and has like this weird, like, kind of like break in reality moment 
that's like they just stop and stare at the kids in the center of the room. They're just acting weird as hell. Uh-huh. And it freaks Sue out. Again, she's like, let's just get the hell out. Like, let's get. So they run out. Um, and they end up outside and they realize that there are there are no cars, no tall buildings. It's just lumpy dirt road. White cottages with flat roofs and low wooden shacks built without doors or windows. They're like, what is going on? Where are we? It's like we stepped back in time. Honey, take a hint. <laughs> take a hint. That's all I got to say. Yeah, so, call your dad. You time traveled. Yeah. <laughs> She's, Sue's like, Eddie, look at the people. And like men are walking by with thick beards and wild, unbrushed hair with loose-fitting gray smocks that drag the ground. Women in long brown dresses were on their knees, pulling up root-type vegetables with their hands. They looked a lot like the people back in the hotel. Oh, no, Sue shouted as she grabbed Eddie and made him turn around. So the hotel was gone, and so they, in its place stood this long, low building built of brown stone. And they're just confused at this moment because all they're hearing are, like, cows mooing. And, and this was supposed to be downtown London. Where were the, the taxis, the cars, the double-decker buses? I mean, what's going on? Sue calls out to this poor little boy who just kind of, like, wide-eye responds with, Good day to you, miss. And in the book... Stein writes that his accent was so strange that Sue could just barely make out what he was saying. Which is another clue, though, because if we've really gone back in time at this point, we're speaking Old English, which is very different from the British accent that Sue may have experienced. But we've all, but we've registered that she has trouble with the regular standard British accent. So now she's just really she's really fucked. She's super (laughs) fucked. Because Old English, I've heard people speak it, and it sounds like garbled But that's not nonsense. even what they're saying, though. He literally responds with, are ye a traveler? Yeah, right. Well, well I'm, I'm sure it's translated for us. And she responds with a yes, and that they were lost and needed to find their hotel, the Barclay. The boy, <laughs> which is so funny. She's like, I love that she has to name drop the hotel. Yeah, right. Our hotel, the Barclay. The boy was like, what the fuck? He said, he said it, I quote, I don't know those words. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, that he had to get home or he said he has to get wood home. So he's going to peace out. Um, And Sue turned around to say something, but Eddie was gone. Eddie has disappeared. Sue kind of starts frantically searching around for Eddie. She can't find him. She's calling out for him. She's very concerned. She ends up running into this dark figure, blocking her path. And here we are again, our tall, dark, and handsome man who uh, is just got his black cape fluttering behind him in the wind. Again, very Professor Snape sounding to me. And Sue just kind of steps out from his shadow and demands to know where her brother is. And the cloaked man's like, don't worry about where your brother is. You don't need to know that. And she's like, no, I'm worried. Yeah. So she's asking him, she's like, I don't know what you want for me. Like, I'm not who it is that you were looking for, all of this other stuff. And he's like, you know me. (laughs) You know me. 
it's really they're kind of having like this awkward conversation in this fucking mud and probably shit and like cows and all of that so he grabs her and then all of a sudden saved by the fucking bell again an ox cart comes flying out of nowhere and like starts pummeling towards them which causes them to separate and in the meantime sue's like all right i have my opportunity to go and run so she's running she's running in between the cottages running as fast as her little heart you know can carry her and she ends up running into this woman and she's like help me please help me i need you to help me and the woman's like nah get away from me she's like i ain't about to fuck with this (laughs) yeah but uh, <laughs> Sue wasn't about to back down. She realized that she had some of that strange money in her pocket. And so she's like, listen, I'll give you this if you will hide me. And the woman's like, oh, okay. How about you just get into this basket here and I will hide you. So Sue gets into the basket. The woman latches the lid. And then she hears the man come uh, closer. And then the woman's like, hey, she's in here. She's in this basket. Ah. I'll put her in this basket for you. Wow. And and Sue's like, wow, really? <laughs> like, did you really just do that? Did you really just double cross me? I think I audibly gasped at this point. Uh-huh. The- Sue thought that heifer took Well, I knew money. it wasn't going to work out. I don't know if you've seen Indiana Jones, but usually when you crawl into a basket. It's not a good choice. No. Well, so the woman kind of like bends down into the basket and she's like, hey, I'm so sorry, but this is the Lord High Executioner and I'm not fitting to go against him. Like, sorry about it. Thanks for the coin, though. So Sue is trapped in this basket um, and she can't get out. She feels herself being lifted uh, up onto what she thinks is some sort of cart Um, And she hears the steady clip-clop of horses' hooves. And all she could think about was, what does this Lord High Executioner want with her? And when the cart stops and Sue is lifted out by these two gray uniformed soldiers, she's crying. She's like, let me go. Why are you doing this? Um, And the Executioner didn't reply. Sue begins to plead that he has made a terrible mistake and that she doesn't know why or how she got here, but that he had the wrong girl. And the soldiers turned her around and there it stood. Terror Tower. The courtyard was jammed with silent, grim-looking people dressed in rags. Their eyes vacant, faces blank. Some were weeping and staring at the sky. Babies cried and wailed. Men and women sat in the dirt, moaning and muttering to themselves. These sad, filthy people were all prisoners. Sue realized as she was being dragged up the twisting stone steps. Once at the top of the tower, Sue was slung inside as the door was bolted shut. Sue, a familiar voice called out. It was Eddie. The caped man had grabbed him back in the street and covered his mouth so he couldn't call out. They heard the bolt slide to one side. Someone was coming for them. Who do you think is the someone, Christy? You know, I don't know, because you keep uh, picturing Snape, and I keep picturing Darkwing Duck. (laughs) (laughs) I like Darkwing. Let's go with it. Yeah, we'll say Darkwing Um, But I'm guessing it is the the red-faced tour guide. 
No, it's not. So it's this white-haired man in this long purple robe. He's got a a sharply pointed white beard um, and says, you have returned. And when Sue asks, like, okay, (laughs) who are you? Uh, He proceeds to tell them that his name is Morgrid. And (laughs) Morgrid. Yes. Morgrid. A struggle. His parents hated him from birth. 100%. They looked down at that small raisin of a child and they said, I'm going to call you Morgrid. Exactly. Because fuck you. <laughs> uh, so he then kind of proceeds to tell the children that, you know, he is the king's sorcerer. And that they were the prince and princess, Edward and Susanna of York. And that their uncle had decided to uh, usurp the throne is what it's alluded to. Their parents are dead. The actual Their parents were the actual king and queen. They're dead. The uncle comes in. He's like, I'm going to take over. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill these kids so that way they can't you know, grow in power and then come back for me. So Morgrid tries to be a good guy and he's like, I'm going to help these kids get out of here. Right? So Morgrid just sort of um, is he's kind of like a weird character in the book but he's kind of like I had these stones I sent you into the future sorry they were incomplete memories that I gave you because he's like I gave you these memories but they were incomplete I was doing my best I was doing my best he was doing his best plot twist yeah so they don't belong in the future no they don't belong into the future they are the prince and princess of York and had been ordered to the tower by their uncle the king so Eddie's like, you're wrong. They're also royalty now. Yes, yeah. also royalty. So Eddie's like, you're wrong. We know who we are, and you've made a big mistake. Like Eddie has a little, like a complete Julia Roberts moment. Mm-hmm. And Morgrid mm-hmm. then does this weird thing where he like takes his hands, puts them on the children's foreheads, and then there's this like warm feeling of like light that kind of just like lifts through them and all of a sudden they can remember who the fuck they are i will say though that i was a little uncomfortable in this set in this like part of the book because like Susanna, like whatever like he just laid sands on her head and she like remembers and whatever but then like eddie he has to like corner against a wall and eddie is like fighting him and it was a little predatory and i was like "Mm, i don't know about that yeah well, but it all worked yeah. out. He's a good guy. Good guy, Morgrid. Good you know. guy, Morgrid. Yeah, he's kind of a. Mm, well, I'll I'll get into that a little bit later. But anyway, um, and so they suddenly remember their parents and that they had been sent to ter- to the uh, tower and that the king's orders were to smother them. Uh, so they're we've had our realization moment here, like in the plot, they're like, okay, our actual parents are dead. They're not at some random fucking conference. And this is who we are. We're royalty. How did Morgrid even know what a conference was? I mean, I guess he's magical. magical. Maybe he's been there. Who knows? He's got these stones. Who knows? He maybe maybe time travels all the conferences all the time. True. 
So it was at that point that they knew that Morgan was telling the truth, um, that they weren't Eddie and Sue from the 21st century, that they actually lived in this dark and dangerous time. They were Edward and Susanna of York. Um, but then they wanted to know, like, well, what happened? Why are we back here? And Morgrid explains that the Lord High Executioner had been spying on him, and he knew that he would try and help the children escape. And in order to cast the spell, Morgrid had used three white stones, and the Lord High Executioner must have stolen them and performed the spell himself to go into the future to bring them back. Morgrid, um... Oh, shit! ...was like... Well, they're like, can you perform the spell once more? Can you do this? And Morgan just kind of like shakes his head. And he's like, alas, I cannot. Sure can't. I don't have the, I don't have the stones. I don't have them. (laughs) This book is just one long balls joke. Right. Eddie used his gift to pickpocket the executioner. Because didn't have the the stones. And Eddie had them. He sure did. Like stones, he steals that. Okay, and he found his stones. Yeah, found him. <laughs> so here's where it gets really like kind of fucked up because Morgrid tells them that it's actually a really simple spell, and all that you have to do is pile the stones on top of one another, wait for them to glow with a bright white heat, and then pronounce the words "movarum lovaris movaris." Which, disappointingly, in Latin doesn't mean anything. Exactly. I Google translated it myself. Very upsetting. Yes. And then they just have to call out the year to which the traveler is to be sent. But our Morgrid's like, I can't do that. And he refuses to perform the spell. He just says if he tries to help them escape again, the king would most assuredly capture him, torture him, and he would be unable to help all of the people in Britain. And I'm going to tell you what, me in this situation, I would be like, wow. (laughs) So Morgrid leaves. You would be like, 1-900, fuck them. Okay, and fuck the people of Britain. Would like, I know that there's lots do? of people in Britain. What did but they go do? With me here for a minute. Huh? Go with me um, here. You know, we're here. Let's, let's we're royalty. And see what they have to think. Mm. Technically better than you. I mean. <laughs> That's what I was missing from this. I was missing like a really angry Scottishman who just hated the Brits. Fuck you know the people of I mean? Britain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To come in and just be like, fuck them. We're gonna we're gonna bounce. We're gonna bolt. I needed a Tom Scottish prisoner bolt. who was imprisoned in there with them, and he's like, All right, well, if Morgan ain't gonna do it, we're about to bounce. Yeah. Screw so- Morgan leaves and he's like playing all sad and guilty. And then he it, they had a weird moment where he like leaves the door cracked, and our kids are like, Ooh, he at least left the door cracked for us so we can escape. That's cool of him. But then as they try to sneak out the door Morgrid casts a fucking spell on them that prevents them from moving and quote with tears in his eyes tells him that he could not allow them to escape and that he has done his best oh I don't don't think you have done I don't think you really have I don't think you fucking have sir I just what the medieval psych he was like sorry can't help you bye bye (laughs) I'm going to freeze you so you can't move. Deuces. Bye. Well, but Keel, this is like some sort of weird toxic relationship here because he starts crying. 
There's tears. And he like dramatically slams the door behind him. And as soon as the door is locked, the spell is lifted and they can move again. And what kills me is that in the book, they feel sad for Morgrid for some reason. They're like, oh, poor Morgrid. He did his best to help us. I'm like, all about Morgrid. But they, but he really didn't. But then they hear the voice of the Lord High Executioner. He had come for them. But to Sue's surprise, Edward was rather calm. He raised his hand, revealing the three white stones that immediately began to glow. He had lifted them from Morgrid's robe when he hugged Morgrid. Do you remember the spell, Sue demanded? Edward's like, I think so. So he mutters the spell, Movarum, Lovaris, Movaris. He shouted the year that they wanted to go to. The glowing stones exploded in a flash of white light, which faded quickly. Oh, Edward, Sue wailed. It didn't work. We're still in the tower. And before Eddie could reply, the door swung all the way open. And what stood there but a fucking tour group. A young woman dressed in layers of red and yellow t-shirts with a short skirt. She's got black tights. And she's staring at them awkwardly like, what are you doing here? Oh man, that went in a different direction. I really thought that like we were going to accidentally miss phrase the spell raise an army of the dead that was gonna then lay siege to the castle being led by your evil doppelganger i thought that he was just gonna mispronounce it and then just like splice themselves in the universe mm. and like that would have been cool that would have been goosebumps choose your own adventure though because oh, they yes. saved the most mm. twisted shit for those oh absolutely they're back in the future and sue's like you did it, Edward. Congratulations. Your spell worked perfectly. And he's like, girl, just call me Eddie. Don't call me Edward. And, <laughs> and, she, and he's like, and I'll call you Sue. That's what we're, we're Eddie and Sue now. This is our new lives. This is what we're doing. They start paying attention to the, so the tour guide that had uh, kind of burst in on them starts talking about the room, kind of like our red round faced man was doing previously. And in the book, it says that this tiny tower room is where Prince Edward and Princess Susanna of York were held as prisoners. They were held here and sentenced to death, but they were never executed. And then Sue asks the tour guide, they didn't die up here? What happened? And the tour guide shrugged and said, no one knows. On the night that they were to be murdered, the prince and princess, princess vanished, disappeared into thin air. It is a mystery that will never be solved. But then... Out of nowhere, this voice comes out and says, I guess we know the answer to the mystery, which is weird. Stranger danger. Weird. And it's fucking Morgrid. He's grinning and he gave them a wink and he's wearing a purple sport jacket. He's got dark gray trousers on. He tells them that he is thankful for them bringing him along. They're like, well, we had to bring you, Morgrid. We need a parent. Morgrid raised a finger to his mouth and essentially says, hush, don't, don't call me Morgrid. And I'm Mr. Morgan now. Okay. Which is a questionable name. Mr. Morgan. And then Sue's like, okay. And then she's like, and I guess I'm Sue Morgan. And then this is Eddie Morgan. And Eddie's like, well, if I hadn't borrowed these from your robe, that tour guide would be telling a very different story, wouldn't she? And Morgrid's like, yes, she would. 
<laughs> which is like oh, such a weird way to end it. He's like, it would been would have been a very different story. And Sue's like, let's get out of here. I never want to see this tower again. Eddie's talking about how he's hungry. He's starving. He wants to go get some fucking bangers and mash, whatever it is that they eat. And Sue's like, I'm hungry too. And then uh, Morgan's like, shall I perform a food spell? Yes. And Eddie always and Sue, yes. Yeah. Eddie and Sue let out a groan and they're like, I think I've had enough spells to last a lifetime. How about we go to Burger Palace for some good old 21st century hamburgers and fries? Do they have a Burger Palace? In I don't even know what that is. The well, end. copyright infringement. He can't. Yeah, not Burger King. Okay. Burger Palace. Burger Palace. This was this was interesting. I was really excited to kind of like dive back into a little bit of uh, childhood nostalgia with mm-hmm. this one. Um, there is this one does come with a movie as you know a lot of our diehard Goosebumps fans will know that you know some some of these books were turned into like made for TV movies like mm-hmm. the Haunted Mask and whatnot um, and this one was one that I like vividly remember so I did I read the book again and then went back and watched the movie and the movie had like such a better ending than the book the book oh what was the ending oh it was essentially the same but in the end um when the children find themselves back into the when they're first meeting morgrid morgrid is already imprisoned there and he lets them know that you know he tells them what's going on and he says that he um was trying to send them all the three of them to the future and that he was going to go with them. And so he started giving them these memories, but in the process, he had sent them into the future, but then the Lord High Executioner came in, interrupted the process, stole the stones, and had Morgrid imprisoned, and he went into the future to get them back. So that's why they- that makes a lot of sense. Right. Because I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, why would a Morgrid, like from the book, just send them into the future with nothing? Right. And when they get back, you know, he tells them all of that and that that was his intentions and that he was locked up in there with them. And so they are all set to be executed and they take them all down to the execution chamber or whatever. And Morgrid in the TV, in the movie, like pleads with them. He's like, hey, I need let me just send them back into the future and just kill me. Like, just kill me, leave them alone, or whatever. And the Lord High Executioner is like, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to kill you all. Um, And then Eddie comes in, and there's like a a scuffle. He steals the stones back, and then they kind of like have a moment where all three, you know, chant and then go back into the future. But there's a twist ending because at the end, when they're all like together and they're happy and they're going to get burgers... The Morgrid pulls out two stones from his pocket and he's like, Eddie, can you give me back my third stone? And Eddie's like, I don't have it. And then they have this little joking moment as the double decker bus is pulling away and they're on it. And then in the background, you see the caped man, the Lord High Executioner, holding the third stone. So it has like a much better ending than the book does, which I really appreciate. Hmm. Well, I'll have to check it out. 
Definitely. No, but I like that one, though. I like it when we go all historical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. But yeah, I was just, I was having trouble connecting, like, the fear emotion with Darkwing Duck. <laughs> yeah. It's very much that. He's got his little wide brim hat and in the um he's in the movie he's much more intimidating like visually because he's like this really tall man. Mm-hmm. Um and also in the movie what they do well is to to like better incite that fear is that as they're walking through and touring the castle there are or the the tower there's these like wax figures and in their minds, these wax figures like come to life. Ah, so they're okay. like, they look at them and then one moment they're a wax figure. And then the next second they're like turning their heads and they're moving. And so okay. it adds like an See, added And layer. I wish that he would have included that because right. that would have been, that would have been like nightmare fuel. Like. Right. It's an mm-hmm. added layer of like thrill that you, that the book really misses. Now this one, um, also turns into a choose your own uh, adventure Scare. that they do later. Yeah. yeah. Um, and where you play the, you are the main character and you uh, go back with Eddie and Sue in time so that they can overthrow their uncle. That's cool. So there's a whole added oh. layer to that when you go back. The choose so. your I always found the choose your own adventure books to be scarier. I don't know if it was they because are. you were making the choices, but the endings of those, and like I'm the failed endings of those were were nightmare fuel. I always made the wrong choice. Yeah, same. <laughs> same. Well, Dude. so Stein does do goosebumps that were choose your own scare. There's a whole um string of them. Um Danielle has covered uh, one of them we did secret agent grandma love yeah. that one yes um so if we we'll have you guys back if we do um <laughs> hell if yeah we do <laughs> hell yeah we always choose the wrong ending so it's good <laughs> oh i died many times we'll die in that instantly. episode mm-hmm. yeah you need a couple do-overs like you get some hearts it's okay good good well, good. I liked it. Kenny, you did a fantastic job. Um, I'm so glad that you guys were here for these couple episodes while Danielle takes a much needed break. Um, so if the people who are listening at home want and need and must have more, where can they find you? Well, if you must have more. Uh, you can find us on any of your major podcast apps, like the, the podcast app that you are using to listen to this very show. We are on. You can find us by searching the Haunted Heart Podcast. You can also connect with us on social media at the Haunted Heart Podcast on Instagram, at the Haunted Heart on Twitter. Um, and we're also online at www.thehauntedheart.com. So you can find us in all of those places. We would love to uh, meet you, talk to you, learn everything about you, stalk you even. Um, yeah, but you can find Good us time, there. Actually. Yeah. Yes. Please, please go and check them out. The Haunted Heart has been my favorite show since um it's the first podcast i ever listened to and it stays my favorite show i can't claim that i was the first patreon person but i feel like i may have been like number two or three i think you might have been i think you might have been the first yeah i was i was real real close so if you like our show you'll definitely like their show go check it out oh
Thanks, Christy. All right. And next week, Christy is back on Fear Street with the next in line for Patreon request, The Mind Reader. But until next time, we are out. Like Like podcast podcast hosts who need to get get back back to their their own own show. show. Join Join us. us.